Welcome to the Delling Pod with me, James Dellingford. I know, I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but I really am. Before I introduce her, a quick word about our various sponsors. We've got two really good gold sponsors, and you'll find the details below, um, in the blurb below this, below this podcast. There's the Pure Gold Company, which is if you want gold delivered to your doorstep or stored for you in a vault in Switzerland or in London. Uh, they're really good. I highly recommend them. And also you've got monetary metals, which is a way of earn, earning interest on your gold holdings. It's a slightly different uh, business model. Uh, I still think it's a, a good idea. Very complicated. You have to look at my podcast I did a, a, a while back um, uh, on, on the subject. Um, also, please continue using the excellent Hunter and Gather. You can find details as to where, where to get their excellent produce, which is really good if you're on a keto diet, for example. They sell MCT oil. Um, they sell all sorts of good things. Uh, and their mayonnaise is fantastic. And it's got none of those evil ingredients. No seed oils, for example, which is really good. Anyway, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, um, who, despite your, your, your Scottish-sounding name, Natasha, you're actually Russian, aren't you? I am. Um, so I know that you specialize in gut health, which is this really, it, it's become a kind of a, a sort of trendy thing, hasn't it? It's become, yeah, everyone's talking about, about gut health, but I'm not sure that anyone really understands what, what it means. Um, but you've had great success treating people with all manner of conditions by um, adjusting their diets. Is that right? Well, everybody's talking about gut health because everybody's got abnormal microbial community sitting in their digestive system. Because if you buy your food in a supermarket, you are eating antibiotics for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Everything on supermarket shelves comes from industrial agriculture. Industrial agriculture uses large number of chemicals, most of which are antibiotics in their nature. And one of the most commonly used now is glyphosate, which was introduced in the 90s, and it's now reaping its harvest, and it is a broad-spectrum antibiotic. It's used in enormous amounts right before harvesting on most um, major crops. <clears throat> so everything you buy in a supermarket is full of antibiotics. Human body is a microbial community, and uh, every microbial community lives on harmony, on balance. You have to have every microbe present in there, viruses, bacteria, protozoa, fungi, all sorts of creatures should be in a balanced microbial community because they all control each other. They don't allow any one of them to get out of control. Every microbe in this world can cause disease if it is out of control. Because you're eating antibiotics with everything you buy with your food and on top of that people keep taking antibiotics from the doctors, of course, for various ailments, um, you are killing off a proportion of that microbial community. No antibiotic can kill everything. It only can address a few particular microbes. And as a result, you're creating imbalance. The harmony is gone. And when there is imbalance in the microbial community, the species of microbes that are left there, that antibiotic hasn't touched, get out of control. Uh, microbes propagate very quickly, they produce trillions of babies per hour, and uh, as a result, 
the microbes which used to be perfectly benign as part of a balanced, harmonious community overgrow and become pathogenic. In your human body, there is nothing sterile, nothing microbe-free. You have microbes in your blood, in your heart, in your lungs, in your brain, in your joints, everywhere. Everywhere there are microbes. There are more microbes in the human body than there are human cells. The majority of that microbial community in your body lives in the digestive system. If you want to ask why, I will tell you, because the most powerful influence on any microbial community in nature is food. You change food supply to a microbial community in addition, a labor laboratory or anywhere else, everything will change within hours. Certain species of microbes will disappear, other species will appear, and the whole microbial community will change, transform. Because food is the most powerful influence on the microbial community, majority of your microbes in your body live in the digestive system, because that's where you put your food, right? And it is like a headquarters, it's like a big ministry, like the government, like the state of that microbiome of your body that sits in your digestive system. And when you're eating foods, different foods, they respond to them very quickly, to these foods, and they alter everything in your body. That is why all diseases begin in the gut, because your body is a microbial community and the hub is sitting in the gut. Every chronic disease, without exception, begins in the gut. It doesn't matter whether you have digestive symptoms or not. You may say that my stool is fine, no gas, no pain, no bloating, no diarrhea, no constipation. But when we test people's uh, gut flora, we find it's very abnormal. And when we start normalizing it, putting it straight with gut flora, rheumatoid arthritis disappears. Multiple sclerosis disappears, Hashimoto disappears, migraines disappear, schizophrenia, all sorts of mental other illnesses, you know, skin problems, kidney problems, all sorts of problems. All diseases begin in the gut. The roots of every disease and the roots of your health are sitting in your digestive system. And people are poisoning their digestive system now on a mass scale, particularly in industrialized world. They're poisoning uh, themselves with agricultural chemicals and pharmaceuticals. Wow. That's the answer. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm so glad I had you on the podcast because I've never heard it expressed so beautifully or with such confidence and clarity. And it makes absolute sense to me, everything you said. Now, I, I want to I make a confession, which I, I've probably just done a terrible, terrible thing. So I've been sort of trying to get my gut health back in order. And I recently went on this sort of fasting diet um, to get rid of something which you probably know about. And maybe I've done a terrible thing, the mucoid plaque. Mm -hmm. um, and I got rid of my mucoid plaque, it sort of came out looking like snot. Um, and um but maybe i i did a terrible thing and i've got rid of all my healthy flora i don't know no no you you can't get rid of your flora you can't because the digestive system has deep crevices caves you know long tunnels going in into the wall of the digestive tract <clears throat> and that's where your resident flora sits what's in what comes out of you is usually what's in the lumen of the digestive system 
what that flora has excreted and the food, you know, and what's growing in the food. That's what usually comes out. This plaque detoxifies, it removes a lot of toxicity out of the body, so um, people find it useful. But it's something that you do occasionally or one-off. But the most important thing is what you do on a daily basis, most of your life. Okay. Because, because you have to work in partnership with this microbial community in your body. You have to provide them with the right food, the right environment for them to thrive and for them to be harmonious and balanced. And if they are balanced and harmonious, they will keep you healthy and full of vitality and feeling on top of the world. <clears throat> right. Okay. So, so take me through the things I should be doing and the things, I, well, not just me, but everyone, and that I should not be, not be doing. Because I have to say, I am quite fond of my old diet. You know, I quite like, for example, um, a really well-made loaf of bread. I quite like, well, you know, if I go on holiday to Greece, I have to say, I quite like having calamari fried in, fried in heaven knows heaven knows what. Um, and are you are you saying that we've got to learn to renounce so much of, of 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 this kind of mixed diet that we've grown up having? Not at all, not at all. The diet that um, helps us to rebalance our microbial community in the body is called GAPS. I'm the creator of this concept, and it's a global phenomenon. It stands for Gut and Psychology Syndrome and Gut and Physiology Syndrome. Both abbreviate to the same gaps in the English language. And a gaps person is a person with a damaged gut flora, with a damaged microbiome in the body. The diet rebalances that gut flora. It brings that harmony, that balance back in your body. Depending on how damaged your body is, depends on how strict you have to be. If you are fairly well, if you've got a strong constitution and you are not suffering from any particular serious disorder or disease, then you can be uh, quite lenient and you can have good quality bread and you can have, you know, other foods that are not on the, on the GAPS diet. But the more the person is damaged, the more the person has serious chronic illnesses, digestive and outside the digestive system, uh, the, the stricter they have to be, these people. Right, I see. Well, I'm probably in the, the damaged category because I've got... I mean, I, I'm, I'm sceptical about all sort of medical conditions now, but I've got what I used to consider to be Lyme disease. Um, and I've got various... You, you know, the, the, not so bad now. I've been, been treating it in various ways over the years. Uh, but I still get bouts where I get sort of exhaustion, a, a bit of brain fog, a sort of numbness in my head, um, things, things like that. It sort of it seems to come out of nowhere. So clearly that's a sign, isn't it, that I, that I need mm -hmm. to do something? Yes, absolutely. Well, life is a journey and we die at the end of it, right? Yes. <laughs> We're not going to live forever. None of us is going to live forever. Uh, none of us are going to survive this journey. So, the important thing is that while we're on the journey is to maintain good health, good enough health, maintain this physical structure you live in, this body, so you feel comfortable and you can accomplish your goals and do what, enjoy your life and, and do what you need to do. 
in this world. So it isn't something that you do once and then you can relax. No, no, no. It's a lifelong thing. Yeah. So you have to put your, your um, diet right, find what works for you in your individual situation and settle on that. Settle on that and not, not upset that for the rest of your life if you want to have an enjoyable and productive life. But people who have chronic severe conditions such as Lyme, Lyme is a chronic infection. What we have to understand about chronic infections and parasitic infestations in the body, that they come hand in hand with toxicity. Because when the body has accumulated a bunch of toxins and uh, we live in a man-made technocratic world, which is constantly exposing us to very, very poisonous things, very toxic. There's about 100,000 different chemicals that are in the environment that are toxic, poisonous, and we're all exposed to them through food, through clothing, through our personal care products, our dishwasher detergents, our washing machine, you know, the hospitals and the shopping centers are the most toxic places through the air, through the pollution. Then there are toxic metals, of course, and then there is electromagnetic pollution as well. Yes. You know, our Wi-Fi's are working, our mobile phones are working. We can't see it, but it's a soup, and we live in that soup. And our bodies are electromagnetic beings, electromagnetic machines. They respond to this soup, and it's getting thicker and thicker all the time. So there's lots of damaging things in the environment. And when this toxicity accumulates in the body to a certain degree, and the body feels that I cannot clean this out myself, I'm not coping very well then it will invite, it will allow certain fungi to proliferate in your body or certain viruses or certain bacteria or it will invite a parasite. Majority of people with Lyme disease don't remember being bitten by a tick. No. Vast majority, that's right. And majority of them live in the cities. So it is very likely that these pathogens, and it's not just one pathogen that we now understand, it's not just Borrelia. There's a whole company there Yes. A jolly company. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All kinds of creatures that are working together. And amongst them there are fungi and viruses and bacteria and, um, and mycoplasma and parasites and all kinds of creatures. It's a whole community. And obviously the body decides that this is exactly the community it needs to handle particular toxins in your body. To protect you from those toxins and to hopefully uh, make them more benign, put them in such a biochemical form or maybe imprison them in something so they don't damage you. So it, it is some kind of toxicity. Yes. So the first thing to do with any chronic infection like a Lyme disease or um, any other chronic infection that people might have is to first of all look at your lifestyle, look at your environment. What am I being exposed to? Where can I clean up my environment so I stop being exposed to something toxic? Number one I recommend for every person nowadays in the Western world in particular, we must abandon supermarkets. I know they're so convenient, so comfortable to push that trolley along, just pick up all these packaged things. Everything in the supermarket comes from industrial agriculture. Organic label doesn't mean anything anymore. It's been corrupted. There's a lot of cheating in that area and uh, all the regulations and laws around organics have been changed. Now we have organic pesticides and all kinds of practices that have no place in organics whatsoever. So organic label is just an expensive fake that you're buying in the supermarket. Everything you buy in the supermarket is laced with toxicity that you are absorbing and it's full of antibiotics. 
On top of that, what we need to understand is that food is information on a biophysical level. All information is a vibration. It has a frequency of vibration. This whole world is vibrating all the time. We are vibrating. The whole world is jittering. And the, the frequency of vibration is very important. What frequency does the food in the supermarket carry coming from industrial mode of agriculture? It carries the vibration of grief, suffering, abuse, disease, and greed. How is that information going to give you good health? We all have, in every Western country, we have excellent farmers, people who love their land, who love their animals, their chickens, their gardens, whatever they do there. They're loving people. They will never compromise. You'll find these uh, farmers at farmers markets in cities. So go to a farmers market, talk to these people, get their contact details and ask, can I visit your farm? A person like that will have nothing to hide. They'll be delighted to welcome you to visit their farm. So on the weekend, you can get your whole family together in the car and go on a lovely day visiting a farm, looking at the animals. And when you come there, have a look. Are there any chemicals lying about? Are there refrigerators full of antibiotics and steroids? You know, are there some kind of big gates that you can't cross or anything else like that? And look in the eye of this farmer. Because we human beings are intuitive. You can feel when you're speaking to a good person, right? You can feel when you can trust this person. This, this is a good person. So you want to buy love. You want to buy the information of love in the form of food. Because only that energy gives healing and gives good health. So if you're abundant in the supermarket and you find two or three farmers like that in your local area, all it takes is just getting organized. Once a week you drive there, pick up all your bits and pieces for a whole week, buy yourself a good freezer at home, and uh, you supply it for a week. You don't have to run around every day thinking, what am I eating for dinner tonight? You've got it all in your freezer, you've got it all right there at home, and you can plan and you can have your meals which will bring you good health and vitality. So that is the first thing we have to do, all of us, absolutely all of us. The second thing, obviously, all of us need to clean up our diet, particularly people who live on a standard American diet or standard European diet, whatever, eating lots of processed things and eating lots of non-foods. So all of that needs to be removed. We, need to, we all must start cooking. Eating out is unhealthy. You don't know who cooked your food and with what ingredients. Taking uh, takeaways, relying on anything cooked by some faceless factories for you um, is not going to help. We all should start cooking our meals at home from fresh ingredients. That's very important. It isn't difficult. Cooking is a joy and it's a creative activity and everybody can learn how to do that. So that is the first thing to do with the food. And for a person who is not very damaged, that might be just enough. You can develop your recipes that you love. And uh, even, even if it, it includes good quality sourdough bread, and you'll be fine. You'll do well and you can maintain your body that way. But if you are damaged more deeply, then you need to go through a period of gaps healing to heal your microbiome in your body. And then the microbiome will fix everything else in your body. It will fix your hormones It'll fix your neurological symptoms. It'll fix your connective tissue. It'll fix your gut wall. Everything will be fixed if you go through the GAPS um, protocol. And then once you've recovered, then you might reintroduce certain things, 
slowly, testing it on your body, seeing how your body is responding to that, which were not allowed on the GAPS diet. Right. Um, where are you on things like um, kefir and, and kimchi, d d fermented foods? Absolutely, this is wonderful. Fermented foods are a very important part of the GAFS diet. Very important. Because fermentation is not optional for human beings. Majority of our existence on the planet, we didn't have refrigeration. And we didn't have supermarkets where you can buy anything out of season at any time of year. No, people grew their own food. <clears throat> and when your cabbages were ripe in September, you have to do something with them. Otherwise, they will rot very quickly, wilt very quickly, and you'll be left without cabbage for the rest of the year. Uh, and cabbages take about eight months to grow. <clears throat> I have they're, to say, they're quite labor-intensive. <laughs> I've, right. I've never successfully grown cabbages. They always get eaten by the, by the insects. It's really annoying. insects or slugs or something else. That's right, yeah. So it, it, it's not easy. And uh, I'm an organic farmer. We are, my family are self-sufficient in food because at a certain point you understand that you have to produce your own food <laughs> to have good quality. So uh, we grow all of these things and uh, every year is different. One year you get lots of carrots, another year you get lots of cabbages. Depends on the weather, on on the season, what's going on, so it's different, different things. So, with the fermentation, when you ferment those cabbages and make sauerkraut, they keep for six years, five, six years minimum, sauerkraut, just gets better and better. So, you preserve food for a long time. On top of that, this is a rich probiotic food. You're getting lots of probiotic microbes and enzymes they produce and lactic acid and other lots of lovely things that they produce which heal and soothe your digestive system and boost your microbiome. They talk to your microbiome and rebalance it in your body. So in that sense, the, 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 this are the cheapest probiotics on the market are your own fermented foods at home. And uh, on top of that, when you ferment cabbage in particular or, or other vegetables, the microbes during the process of fermentation pre-digest that food for you. Human digestive system has been designed to digest animal foods well. Meat, fish, eggs and dairy. These are the most natural things for us to eat, the most nourishing things, the easiest to digest, and they build our physical structure very nicely because they're very compatible. In, biochemi in, in biochemical terms, they're made out of the same things, they're very similar in their biochemistry to what we made of, our tissues and organs. But plants are very difficult to digest for human beings. They're indigestible, particularly raw plants. Plants have lots of proteins in them, lots of fats, all of which are indigestible, and they cannot build the physical structure of your body for you. The fact, the scientific fact that we've known from 1930s is that the only things on this planet that can digest plant matter are microbes. Nothing else can digest plants. A cow doesn't digest grass that she eats herself. She has three enormous stomachs, which collectively are called rumen, and these stomachs are full of microbes. And it's that microbial community in her stomachs that digest the food for her. Otherwise, she would not be able to, to handle it. We human beings don't have a rumen. We have one little stomach, which produces hydrochloric acid. The acidity can be quite, you know, one pH, pH one or even lower sometimes. Very hostile environment for microbes. That is why the human stomach is practically sterile. 
it practically has no microbes surviving in there. That is why plants are indigestible for us. You need microbes to digest plant matter. Right. But, but hydrochloric acid is perfect for digesting meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. Absolutely perfect. So when we ferment plant matter outside our bodies in a pot somewhere, we are allowing a microbial community to pre-digest that plant matter for us, break it down for us outside our bodies before we actually consume it. So we don't have to do the digestion of that plant matter. So what they do, they digest it for us, they break down all the tough tissues, the proteins and other things, and they release nutrition into the juices make that nutrition bioavailable for us. So it's easy for us to just absorb and benefit from that plant matter um, much more than eating it fresh. A good example is that I tell everybody that the helping of fermented cabbage, sauerkraut, will give you 20 times more bioavailable vitamin C than the same helping of fresh cabbage. Because fresh cabbage, you cannot digest. You cannot extract the vitamin C out of it. Human digestive system cannot do that. In the sauerkraut, the bacteria have done the job for you. They, they've, they've released that vitamin C into the mixture. So fermented vegetables and fermented fruit are the best vitamin C supplements in the world. That's where people used to get vitamin C during the cold seasons, through fermented, through eating a lot of fermented foods. And people used to ferment everything because that was the only way they could preserve things for long periods of time. Meat can be fermented, fish can be fermented, eggs can be... Chinese ferment eggs. There is a fermentation recipe for eggs. You know, you can, dairy, of course, you know, we know cheese and yogurt and kefir and other fermented uh, products, dairy products. And all plants can be fermented, including vegetables and fruit and grains and beans and other leguminous and all, you know, everything can be fermented. And when we ferment it, we preserve it, we turn it into a probiotic, a powerful probiotic for ourselves, and we pre-digest it. It's much easier for us to digest. So fermented foods are one of the staples in the GAPS diet. And where are you on pulses? Pulses are very difficult to digest for human beings. They, they, they're indigestible because they seeds. All seeds, whether it's grains, pulses, nuts, or other, you know, all seeds are equipped with chemicals which are called anti-nutrients. They are specifically designed by the plant to damage your digestive system, damage your connective tissue, to damage your whole body. When the grass goes to seed, my cows refuse to eat it. They give me this dirty look and they point with their noses at this grass and, you know, it's just written all over their faces, what are you doing? Where is the proper grass? <laughs> You see, plants can't run away. They're fixed to one place. So they can't run away from an animal eating it. And they don't want their babies to be eaten. They want their babies to grow. That's why they equip their babies with all these nasty chemicals to damage the digestive system of an animal that eats these seeds. That is why my cows would not eat seed, you know, grass that has gone to seed. Only humans indulge in such silly ideas. <laughs> so in order to... Um, neutralize these anti-nutrients in order to make these seeds digestible for us and less damaging for us. The traditional cultures over thousands of years have learned through experience how to do that and they would soak them first, they would sprout them or they will ferment them, then they will grind them and cook these grains or, or pulses and then they will ferment them again. And depending on the variety of pulses or, or grains 
or another seed. Some are easier and, and don't take so much processing. Others need a couple of weeks before you can actually put them in your mouth. So they don't cause you damage. You know, Africans, for example, who grow sorgo and millet, that's their staple. Um, I've, I've read a very interesting book about what they do with these things. They fill up a pot with this grain, they cover it with water, and they leave it under African sun for uh, about a week until it goes completely soupy. Then they would spread it out and dry it out mm -hmm. so that it can be like a flour. They, they grind it into flour. Then they add some kind of culture, they ferment it again. And then with that flour, they make the uh, patties and their bread. And then they cook them. So by processing it that way, in employing microbes, they make millet and sorghum digestible for themselves and they can get more nutrition out of it. Okay, so what about, for example, the Indian diet? I mean, I know that's a generality, that generalization that, that India covers a multitude of sins, but th they tend to eat vegetarian, they tend to eat lots of dal. Is dal not nutritious then? That's a myth that we have in the Western world that Indians are all vegetarians. Not oh. at all. I've been to India several times and uh, I, I have a few Indian friends and uh, I've been in many places in India and the most important piece of food on their plate for Indians, for the traditional majority, vast majority of the population is a piece of fish or a piece of meat. Majority of Indians live along some kind of waterways, either on the coast of the sea, the ocean, or along rivers and lakes, and they fish. So the fish is the most important part on their plate. Then rice and vegetables and whatever is only a supplement to that piece of fish, and they would eat that piece of fish first. They eat a lot of mollusks as well, and uh, they all have chickens and ducks, so they eat a lot of eggs, and they love their dairy. Why do you think a cow is a sacred animal in India, traditionally? Because in many parts of India, which are far away from waterways, they knew that they will not survive without the cow. The, she, she provides them with butter, ghee, milk, cheese, cream. And these are animal foods which can sustain the physical structure of the human body. Because it's digestible, it's easy to digest and it can be fermented. That is why the cow is a sacred animal, that is why it's forbidden to kill cows. Things are changing in India now, unfortunately, but that was the tradition for thousands of years. So people who live far away from the waterways and who are very poor, they had no choice but to grow an animal. They can't afford to eat that animal themselves. They would milk the animal, such as a goat maybe or, you know, something else. And then they would sell that animal for meat. And the amount of money that they would get for that animal then would allow them to buy rice for the rest of the year for the family, to survive that way. So vegetarianism in India comes out of poverty. Right. And when this, yes, and when these people uh, had a chance to eat meat, they would never say no to it. That's a, that's a big celebration, you know, and and they would do their best to find fish, to find some kind of some kind of, because the only things that feed truly feed and build the human body, maintain the physical structure we live in, and your physical structure, your bones, your joints, your your fascia, your organs, your whole body, your skin, are renewing themselves all the time. Cells live only a short life in every organ of your body. They die, they get removed, and they get replaced by newly born baby cells. 
So your body gives birth to trillions of baby cells every single day. These cells need to be made from something. Building materials are required. That is why we eat. And when we look at what these cells are made out of, what is the human body made out of? About 70% water by, by, by weight. What's left, the dry weight, is 50-50, protein and fat. When we analyze human protein and human fat in a lab, we find that they're almost identical to proteins and fats from meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. And these are, happen to be the foods that uh, our digestive system, our stomach, is perfectly adapted to digesting. So these are the feeding, building foods for us. Only animal foods feed us and build our bodies. Plants cannot feed us because we cannot digest them properly. So plants are largely cleansing and they provide some cofactors and they provide fun and variety and colors and flavors and, and things like that for us. And in India, with the tropical climate, you know, plants just grow. It's very easy. You just throw the seeds down, everything, everything grows. That's why they eat a lot of plant matter in, in those climates. But they know that they cannot survive without dairy, without their eggs, without fish and without meat, at least occasionally, that they can find. The Western-style veganism, the evangelical veganism, arrived to India in the 1930s with the books of Nathan Pritikhin who was a New Yorker, uh, who wrote very successful books for some reason. He himself was a, a long-term vegan, and he uh, contracted three forms of leukemia at the same time and finally perished from leukemia. Majority of long-term vegans die from cancer, cancer, neurological problems, or something else like that. Because plants do not feed us, and veganism is not a diet, it is a form of fasting. Fasting can be very beneficial for cleansing the body, <clears throat> but nobody can fast forever. <clears throat> Once you've fasted for a period of time, your body cleansed, then it will give you a signal. I finished cleansing, feed me. And the way it will give you that signal, it will give you desire for a piece of meat, for a roast chicken, for bacon and eggs, for animal foods which truly feed and build our bodies. Problem is that many vegans in our modern world are doing it for political reasons, religious reasons, emotional reasons. And while they were vegan, they created blogs and written books and announced to the whole world how successful veganism is. <laughs> so when their body gives them that signal, they don't listen to it. They override the signal and they force their body to continue cleansing while the body is asking to be fed. And at that point, the body has no chance, uh, choice but to start um, breaking down less important tissues, such as muscle and bone, to feed your brain, your heart, your lungs, liver, and, and other vital organs. So the person starts losing muscle mass, starts losing bone mass, um, hormone production drops dramatically, so all um, menstruations and libido disappear, absolutely, you know, and uh, they start degenerating and start falling into chronic degenerative diseases. These people. I have seen far too many people like that. And we have now a growing population of recovering vegans in the world. People who have hit rock bottom with their health, realized what they're doing, how much they, how deeply they've destroyed their bodies through veganism. And they started eating meats again, started eating animal foods again. It takes them many years to recover, to get back from that rock bottom. Ooh. 
you've really made me want to go out and eat a, a big piece of meat now, Natasha. <laughs> um, I want to, I, uh, there's something I want to ask you um, on, that, on that subject. But first of all, rice. Are you saying that rice is really just a filler? There's no, there's no nutritional benefit to it? Rice, wheat and maize are three staples that the whole world lives on. The Latin Americans live on maize, the Asians live on rice, the Western world lives on wheat. You know, And there is some crossover, of course, but they are staples. And when you start looking at degenerative diseases and allergies in particular, in every area of the world, it is the staple that is the number one cause of all of this trouble. The staples. Because we have not been designed to eat the same thing for breakfast, lunch and dinner. You know, in the Western world, people will start with toast in the morning, then they have sandwiches for lunch, then they have pasta in the evening, yes. and in between they're eating biscuits, you know, and, and, and crackers and whatever. So 70-80% of what's filling their stomachs all day long is wheat, wheat and wheat. And it's indigestible, that is why it's processed very heavily by the food industry, into flour and all sorts of things are added there. And uh, that is a highly processed thing which is pre-digested for you in the factory, basically. And it is the cause of every disease, all of our epidemics. Heart disease and diabetes and obesity and Alzheimer's disease and cancer and all, all, all manner of other degenerative diseases. And if you look at Asians, the same situation, but here the wheat is replaced with rice. And if you look at the Latin Americas, that's maize. It's very interesting, isn't it, that everything you're saying runs counter to the messages with which we are bombarded in newspapers, in, in the kind of the health supplements and all the, you know, the, 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 the things saying things like, um, yeah, a little bit of meat is all right, but really we should learn to cut down and we must have our five vegetables a day. We're bombarded with... I think what you'll probably agree is misinformation. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what you need to understand about the mainstream, and a lot of people have woken up in the last two years, you know, with that entertainment that we had for two years. Yeah. <laughs> many people are wondering now, what, what other entertainment are they preparing for us? And many people had their eyes opened and, and, and woken up with that situation that we live in an upside-down world that everything uh, that looks like above us, the governments, the international organizations, the police, the army, the you know, media that they've created, everything, all of that really is beneath us. So everything they tell you, you have to turn it upside down and then you'll see the truth. Because they lie, lie and lie. Yeah. Because they have their own aims, their own purposes, and we are at the top, the grassroots people, the ordinary people who live their lives, have families, love their children, love their families, love their neighbors, you know, try to have a healthy and, and, and a natural lifestyle. We are at the top, at the top, at the grassroots level. They're all at the bottom. They're a cesspit. Yeah, they're in hell. They're in hell, exactly. They, they, they're in a cesspit. And uh, they cannot rise above the low vibration so they put out all sorts of very clever hooks to lure us to come down to their level through fear through um, greed 
through resentment, through all of these negative emotions and things, you know, and largely fear. Fear is the biggest hook that they have, the biggest worm on the hook that they have. And when you come down to their level, when you dive into their day, you get it. <laughs> you, you get all their misinformation, you get all their lies, you get all their enslavement, because they, they enslave us if you get to that level. So whatever the mainstream tells you, whether it's a TV or a newspaper or a mainstream medicine or a mainstream education, mainstream government, anything, you turn it upside down and then you will see the truth. Yes. Are, are you familiar with the concept of satanic inversion? Yes. I mean, that's what's going on, isn't it? Exactly. That's what's going on. Exactly. We have to be aware of, of all of this and we just have to feel sorry for them. Because they, they, they are suffering, those people. They are people. They are people. They just went very, very low. They're suffering. But they don't want to suffer alone. They want us to join them and give all our energy. Because we have, we have love. We are higher in our vibration than they are. Yeah. They cannot. No one can rise above their level of vibration. No one. It takes a very hard work, spiritual work meditation years of meditation to raise your vibration to go higher no one no one can rise so they cannot rise to our level where we are but they want our energy so they lure us they seduce us they call us or they um, threaten us come down to our level we want your energy yes yes i think that's very probably true um so what you seem to be saying is, I mean, advocating for a, essentially a, car, a carnivore diet. Not, not for everybody. We're all different. We all have different constitutions. One person indeed can uh, live perfectly healthily on vegetarian diet as long as, they can, as long as they include some animal foods to maintain the physical structure of their bodies, like those Indians do. Dairy, very important. Eggs are very important. And at least occasional fish and meat, very important. So for some people, occasional and, and, and a little bit of animal products is enough to maintain their physical structure. And they can live on all these fruit and vegetables and, and what have you. Other pe these are usually people who descended in, in their genetics from tropical areas of the world, some, somewhere warm. Right. Northern Europeans, people who came from colder climates uh, in their ancestry, need meat and fat to survive on a daily basis and to feel well and to be healthy and to be strong. So, and we have extremes at every end, you know, in, we've got lots of people in the middle. Majority of people are somewhere in the middle. And I will tell you this story that um, some 10 years ago, maybe more, a group of mothers contacted me whose babies were diagnosed with a, a new condition called f -bias, um Food protein induced enterocolitis syndrome. It's a mouthful. And now the medical profession is creating all sorts of variations of that diagnostic label. So what it is, it's an it's a exclusively breastfed baby, vomiting diarrhea, vomiting diarrhea, the child is not growing, is not developing, the child is losing weight and degenerating, and many of these babies die. So when the doctors test them, they find that their digestive system is so damaged, they cannot even digest the mother's milk. And uh, they're allergic to every protein on the planet. So at that point, the mainstream starts doing all sorts of terrible things. So these children finish up with 
they either die or they finish up with severe mental disability and physical disability. So I had this group of mothers who in, in their just desperation contacted me. They had three-month-old, two-month-old, five-month-old, you know, a few-month-old babies. And uh, I knew by then at that point that plants are difficult for human beings to digest. And the more the digestive system is damaged, the less that human being is able to handle plant matter. So we have the GAPS introduction diet, and on the first stage of the GAPS introduction diet, we have a very limited number of plants. We largely focus on the animal foods and on the foods that are the easiest to digest and are the most healing. And that is meat stock, gelatinous meats, fermented dairy, and maybe one or two easily digestible, well-cooked vegetables, such as courgette maybe, or a bit of carrot or something like that. So we tried that and it wasn't enough for these babies. So I've realized we have to remove all plant matter for these babies. So we did that. We removed all plants. So these babies lived exclusively on animal foods. And the meat stock was the staple. And the bone marrow, all the gelatinous bits and the fat from, from all the animals. When we've done that, these children started recovering. Diarrhea stopped, vomiting stopped, they started developing, putting weight on, they started developing. That was more than 10 years ago, so now this cohort of children are beautiful children. They're bright, bushy-tailed, bright-eyed, you know, mentally 100%, have lovely social life, have a normal uh, schooling, normal children, healthy, normal children. The only th thing different about them is that we tried and tried with many of them to reintroduce a little bit of courgette, a little bit of carrot, a little bit of some kind of plant matter. And in many of them, diarrhea would return. Really? Yes, or vomiting will return, or something else will return. So we had to stop, give it another six months or so, then try again. And in some cases, we had to ferment the vegetable very well for a few months and then cook it very well. <laughs> and start from the tiniest amount. And in these situations, we were able to introduce some. Many of these children now are eating vegetables, but they are strictly on the GAPS diet. They can never ever introduce grains, beans, or anything else like that. So this group of children taught me a fact that human beings can live perfectly well without plants. We don't need five a day, or 15 a day, or 30 a day, or whatever it is. We don't need fruits and vegetables. We don't need any of it. We can try beautifully and heal purely on animal foods. But the uh, many, many vegetarians and vegans who fell into trouble have taught me a fact that human beings cannot live entirely on plants. They must eat animal foods to survive. It's essential for building our human bodies. So, human beings can live without plants altogether. And then I started using this approach uh, with children and adults with ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, severe mental illness, Lyme disease, and cancer, and many other. Uh, and I have now a large group of people who are living on a no-plant GAPS diet, which I've described in this book. This is called Gut and Physiology Syndrome book. That's my latest book, Gut and Physiology Syndrome. It's quite thick. It came out in 2020. And uh, it's a no-plant GAPS diet, which I've described in that book. And uh, the most severe end uh, of any chronic disease, there are many people around the world now who start from that form of the diet when they remove all plant matter. And that allows them to heal and recover. So, 
my wife, whom I love very much, is stuck in the old paradigm. And she's a great believer in that you must have, you know, healthy quantities of salad and gets very upset when I, I don't eat enough vegetables and thinks, you know, you're missing out on this. So I, I, so I, I will have a good helping of broccoli with covered in butter to please her. But so when I eat that broccoli, do I need to accept that I'm just doing it for the kind of the for form's sake and actually it's, it's just going straight through me and not giving me any nutritional benefit? Well, these kinds of vegetables, cooked vegetables, broccoli and other are a great vehicle for fat. We human beings are not eating enough fat, particularly in the Western world. Western people are not eating enough fat because they have been brainwashed now for decades that fat is evil, causes every disease My in the poor world. Mother. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So many people are, are, are literally just, they got it with their mother's milk, the fear of fat. <laughs> so people are not eating enough of it. We all need to eat far more beef fat, lamb fat, goose fat, duck fat, butter, ghee, pork fat. Pork fat is the most beautiful. Uh, we need much, much more of it, all of us. And cooked vegetables are a great vehicle. And if you can digest it, if it doesn't cause diarrhea, it doesn't cause irritation in your digestive system. If your digestive system is strong enough to digest these things, great. But just pile the butter. Yeah, yeah. I've always, yeah. I've always instinctively wanted to and actually my mother used to do this she used to put always put butter on that so so on some level she must have known even though she was absolutely because the older generations they had the traditions <sighs> that they grew up with you see we we the, the younger generations have lost them but her fridge is full of low low fat produce i mean low fat oh actually you've just made me realize it's essential isn't it to drink um unpasteurized um raw milk with milk, what we have to understand is that there is the real milk that Mother Nature gave us and there is Frankenstein milk. Practically 100% of all dairy that you will buy in a supermarket comes from Frankenstein cows. These are artificial breeds of cow made in a lab, in a laboratory. They are Frankensteins. They are sick constantly. They all have illnesses. They, they have mastitis most of the time of their lives. They have arthritis, they become infertile, most of them die from cancer. How can a sick animal give you healthy milk? And I have a stack full of scientific papers done with that Frankenstein milk, which show that it causes every disease in the world, from heart disease, cancer, to autoimmunity, allergies, mental illness, infertility, all of it, basically. So, what we want, that's not the kind of milk Mother Nature gave us. Those Frankenstein cows were developed specifically for greed, out of greed, because they're able to produce three times more milk than a natural cow is able to give you per day. Mm. That, that's the only reason why they yes. created profit, money, greed. No, you want milk from a real animal that Mother Nature created. And whether it's a goat, or a cow or a, you know any other animal that's available in your area and this animal needs to eat the food that mother nature created it to eat on pasture all animals herbivorous animals must be on pasture not locked up in some prison where, the, where they don't see the light of day ever in their lives and then the farmer goes and plows their pasture 
grow some hybrid monoculture grass, sprays it with chemicals, cuts it and holds it into that prison to feed the cows. And then he can claim officially, with the permission of all Western governments, that these cows are grass-fed. And that beef that goes into the supermarket is grass-fed beef. So you're eating another lie from a supermarket. No, these animals need to be on organic pasture under the sunlight. And the pasture should have about 60 of various herbs and grasses in it. Not some hybrid monoculture fed with chemicals. And it needs to be clean pasture. And then when they're milked, it needs to be done hygienically so you don't contaminate the milk that leaves the body of the cow. And that milk must not be pasteurized. It must not be heated to any degree at all. Because milk of any animal, including human beings, is the white blood of the female. With red blood cells and some other elements removed. It's alive. It's got life force in it. It's got alive immune cells, alive white blood cells. It's got active hormones, active enzymes, active neurotransmitters. And it's got a microbial community in it, alive. Because blood has its own microbial community in humans and in animals. So when that milk flows through the, through the uh, you know, milking gland of, of an animal, it comes out alive. We must not mutilate it by heating it, pasteurizing it, or homogenizing it, or processing it in any other way. And that is the only milk that human beings should be consuming. If you don't have a lactose intolerance, if your digestive system works well. If you have lactose intolerance, and if you cannot digest milk for whatever reason, ferment it. And on the GAPS diet, we, we uh, consume dairy only fermented. We ferment it for 24 hours. We make yogurt, kefir, cheese, uh, whey, sour cream. Sour cream is wonderful. So when you ferment, remember you pre-digest, and all the lactose is removed. Because that's what microbes love eating. They love eating sugars. Lactose is the milk sugar. They consume the lactose to the last molecule. So it is a truly lactose-free dairy product and it's pre-digested for you so all the difficult to digest proteins that your digestive system might not handle well will be pre-digested and broken down so and it's does, probiotic does that mean then because i like cheese but it's quite hard to get cheese that is made from from raw milk does that mean that all the cheese that's not made from raw milk is essentially useless no cheese is um even if it was made from pasteurized milk, they add culture to it. They cut my, add microbes. And these microbes make that dairy product alive again. Okay. There are many areas of the world where people cannot access raw milk. It's either banned, not allowed, or it's just not available. So buy what you can buy, but not Frankenstein. Stay away from the Frankenstein milk. And, and make what? an effort to get it from real cows, or real goats, real, real animals. And... Uh, then you add kefir culture at home. You either use kefir grains or you can make yogurt if you want yogurt from uh, yogurt culture. And these microbes will put life back into that dairy and make it far more digestible for you. And for people who don't have a, a very damaged digestive system, it's perfectly acceptable to buy good, good brands of um, traditional cheeses. They right. can digest them. And what about... What about yogurt i mean you know the greek yogurt you buy from the super same if it is if it is a good quality yogurt and you feel that it's um, digesting well you don't get some digestive symptoms after eating it then your digestive system's handling it well right 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 um 
Well, that's um, you 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 make it sound actually not too horrible. This, uh, you you know that I mean I, I'm I'm glad that you can eat bread. For example, of course you can. There are many people in the world who can eat bread, particularly people of our age, because we come from a different constitution. You know, we were born at a very quite a, a, a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so at that time, the planet wasn't as damaged. Our food wasn't as contaminated and as damaged. And our parents passed a, a, a better gut flora to us than the young people are passing to their babies today. Yes. The gaps is an epidemic and it's getting deeper and deeper with every generation. Because uh, if you look at the grandparents of these people, you know, who were born, let's say, before the Second World War. Just think, before the Second World War, the whole planet was organic. Yes. Just think about that. Yeah. There was no other food. There was just food. And all of it was organic. And the land was fairly clean. So these people have acquired perfectly pristine natural gut flora from their parents. Because the mother and the father pass their gut flora to their baby. The mother starts passing it during pregnancy. And the father contributes through the mother. And then as the child gets born and goes through the birth canal, a large... Uh, um, boost of the gut flora moves into the digestive system of the child. So the mother and the father pass their gut flora. So these grandparents got perfectly good gut flora from their parents at that time. But then antibiotics came onto the market in the 50s and 60s. So perhaps these people got some antibiotics, maybe one or two courses before they gave birth to their children. So they passed a slightly damaged gut flora to their children, only slightly. But then their children grew up in a very different world. Yeah. They were given antibiotics throughout childhood and youth for every cough and sneeze, several times a year. The industrial agriculture developed with all the chemicals. The vaccinations came in and the junk food came in and, you know, lots of other influences changed. So by the time that generation of people grew up and were ready to have their first baby, their gut flora was seriously damaged far more damage than what they got from their parents. And that's what they pass to their babies. So their babies start their lives with a far more damaged constitution than they, they had from their parents. And every year this situation now is getting deeper and deeper, worse and worse. This is a real avalanche coming upon humanity. And we're already reaping benefits, not benefits, but the results, the consequences of this epidemic. And this makes total sense. Where are you on... Um Coffee, tea, alcohol. Coffee and tea, uh, if you can manage it, if you can handle it, one cup a day is all right. It's all right. What you need to understand that caffeine stays for eight hours in your system. So if you're planning to sleep at night, it's a good idea to have your last cup of coffee eight hours before your bedtime. Yep. Your body can relax and can unwind and can... Um, reduce the levels of cortisol that's the, the stress hormone in order for you to fall asleep and have a good good night's sleep and, and good rest so one cup of coffee is okay that, that's fine if you can handle it but what you need to understand that coffee creates an imbalance in the body it swings your body into one of the extremes in terms of hormones neurotransmitters the whole metabolism just swings into an extreme and inevitably from there it's going to swing right past the norm into another extreme. That's yeah. the time when people flag in the afternoon, they want another cup of coffee. So they swing themselves back up to another extreme. And so they go, you know, up 
and down, up yeah. and down. And you know, your blood sugar level goes up and down, your um, cortisol level, your stress hormones and all sorts of things. And you become out of balance and that creates symptoms. If you've got a strong constitution, if you're generally healthy, you can handle that. You can be okay with that. But people are getting, particularly younger people, are getting more and more damaged nowadays. They cannot handle that. Mm. Bipolar disorder. So many young people nowadays, and even children, two-year-olds, get diagnosed with bipolar disorder and put on terrible addictive medication. They are turned into drug addicts at that age. The simple thing, what happens with that baby and, and that child, is they're, they're on a, a blood sugar swing. Mommy gave them a breakfast cereal with sugar, latent with sugar, or a sweet or a treat or something like that. Mm -hmm. So the blood sugar swung above the normal level. And that usually comes with manic behavior. You scrape them off the wall. Oh, Natasha, can you just give me one second? <laughs> give me a moment. Um, I'm so sorry. I was absolutely dying for a pee, and I knew that I, I, I wasn't taking in what you were saying. <laughs> this is the recording that we're doing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so we're not live. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, I, I'll just edit that bit. I'll, I'll edit that bit out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't want to waste your how, words of wisdom. How long do you want to go on for? How long do you want to make this recording? Oh well, we'll just do. We'll, we'll just do maybe ten more minutes, something like that. Is that good? Okay. If you've got time. Do you want to start again on this subject? No, no, I think we... Uh, no, because we... Uh, was there anything more you wanted to say on that? I was talking about a bipolar disorder being diagnosed in, in youngsters. Yes. In children and young people. So it's, all it is, is just a swing in blood sugar level. Because the child is eating sugar. Every time the child eats sugar, they swing into one extreme, which makes them manic. Then inevitably, the body swings them back into another extreme where the blood sugar drops below normal level and the child becomes depressed and inconsolable. So mommy then gives him another piece of chocolate or, or another sweet or, or something sugary or sugary drink and the child swings back into above the normal sugar level. That's how the normal blood sugar regulation gets broken in children and then they get diagnosed with bipolar disorder. All it takes is to remove sugar from the life of that child and give them fat instead. 
So, sugar, is, is that a, I mean, because we, we do have a, very much a cake culture in this country. <laughs> is, is sugar a no-no? Is it just like... Sugar is a poison. And it is the most addictive substance on the planet. Because majority of humanity are addicted to it, they don't believe it's addictive. Because everybody is addicted. Sugar is um, made out of, uh, people say, how can that be uh, wrong for us? We've got sugar in our blood. And it comes from nature, it comes from natural things. Not so, that, that, that is, that is a, um, another manipulation. Sugar is made out of sugar cane and sugar beet. And when you chew fresh piece of sugar cane or a fresh piece of sugar beet, that molecule of sugar comes into your body accompanied with 56 molecules of magnesium, dozens of molecules of chromium, certain enzymes, certain proteins, many minerals, many vitamins. All of those substances are essential for your body to process that molecule of sugar appropriately and do you good. So when the sugar comes accompanied with all of that, it does you good. It's fine. And you can get sugar out of beetroot and you can get sugar out of fruit and you can get sugar out of any plant matter. All plants have sugars in them. But we don't eat sugar beet and sugar cane, do we? We take all that plant matter into a big factory, we get the sugar out of them and everything else gets thrown away. So that sugar comes into your body like a highway robber. It needs 56 molecules of magnesium. Where's that going to come from? It comes from your muscles. So you, the child becomes hyperactive and it comes from the muscles in your blood vessels. So your blood vessels then contract and your blood pressure goes up. Our high blood pressure epidemic is sugar, period. That is the cause of an epidemic of high blood pressure in people. When you stop having sugar, your, heart, your blood pressure normalizes. So, because you get out of magnesium deficiency. And that's just magnesium. There's lots of other nutrients that are robbed out of your body. You, you literally get robbed. And it causes every disorder. Every, it's implicated in every chronic disease in the world. There is no need for this white substance, this technocratic invention, the sugar. Mother Nature gave us, gave us plenty of sweet things. We have fruit. We have dried fruit, which can sweeten your baking. And we have honey. In honey, in natural honey, um, every molecule of sugar is accompanied by all those nutrients. So it does you only good, the honey. The important thing is to understand that um, honey in a supermarket is not honey. Most of it is high fructose corn syrup with a little bit of honey added. And the label says industry standard, which is a way of hiding all sorts of ingredients behind that little uh, two-word phrase, industry standard. And the governments have approved of that. High fructose corn syrup is a poison. We have a stack full of scientific studies to show that it causes every disease under the sun. So sugar must be out, out of, out of our children's lives. If we don't want mental illness, if we don't want hyperactivity, if we don't want all kinds of problems for the rest of their lives. So give it me straight. Are you saying no cake ever? Make your own cake. Cake doesn't have to be unhealthy. If you make your own cake at home, and we have all sorts of wonderful baking recipes in the Gap's diet, um, you can eat as much of that cake as, as you like, and you'll just get healthier. Oh, really? So okay. cake doesn't have to be unhealthy. It can be healthy, as long as you make it yourself out of good quality ingredients. Of course, there's no sugar, there's no wheat in there. We grind nuts, 
a variety of various nuts, walnuts, hazelnuts, almonds, angel flour consistency. That's our flour. We use eggs. We use some kind of animal fat. You can use uh, sour cream. You can use butter. You can use coconut oil. You can use lamb fat, beef fat, goose fat, duck fat. You know, any uh, pork fat is great. These are the three major ingredients. If you want to sweeten it, you add dates. You blend dates with it. Okay. Or another uh, dried fruit variety, which dates are actually sweeter than sugar. So they will sweeten this baking for you nicely. And that will be healthy for your children. You don't have to worry that it will cause obesity or it will cause blood sugar abnormalities or behavior abnormalities or higher hyperactivity or something else. Okay, fair enough. Um, alcohol. Alcohol, uh, pure alcohol such as uh, spirits and wine are allowed on the GAPS diet in moderation, of course. Because alcohol is um, a lot of work for your liver to process. And while your liver is busy processing alcohol, it cannot attend to all other hundreds and hundreds of functions that your liver does. So other toxins will not be neutralized. You will fill your body with other toxins which will be waiting in the pipeline. And those toxins can give you symptoms. They can make you ill. So understand that, that you're putting a great burden on your liver, a great burden on your body, and your body needs to be able to cope with that. So that's, that's uh, uh, one thing. Beer. Beer has some alcohol in it, but the majority of the structure of beer is syrup. Beer is a syrup made out of sugars. You, you're drinking a syrup, you're drinking large amounts of sugar when you drink beer. Because majority of sugars in nature don't taste sweet. They taste neutral or they taste bitter. And these are the kinds of sugars that beer is made from. Neutral and, and uh, bitter uh, sugars. So beer is indeed a major culprit behind our obesity epidemic, our fatty liver epidemic, and uh, heart disease, and Alzheimer's, and diabetes, and all the other uh, problems. Because you're consuming huge amounts of sugar. Well, okay, I, we, we do live in a very much a beer drinking culture. I mean, I don't, I don't, I drink very, very little, but suppose, say, once a month, I were required for social purposes to drink some beer. Uh, is there anything I can do it's, to counteract it? That's fine. That's fine. If, if, if your body can manage it, if you don't get beer belly, and if your blood pressure doesn't go up, and you don't start putting weight on, you know, occasional is okay. okay. Okay, particularly if you're eating, if you're drinking a, a, a good quality draft beer without, I don't know what it's called, the, the traditional, traditionally yeah, bitter, made. bitter, English bitter. Oh, proper, proper beer, that's yes. right, proper beer, without chemicals added. Uh, you'll get lots of B vitamins there because it's a fermented product. Okay. It's, it's a fermented product, that's right. So occasionally it's all right. And some people, you know, when, particularly when we're young, you know, young people, they can take much more abuse than people who are older. Yes, yes. They can drink much more than people. As we get older, we accumulate um, damage in our bodies and our bodies are much less able to cope with abuse. The thing you said that really pleased me was I've always had, I've always loved lamb fat. I've always loved really fatty sort of melt-in-the-mouth lamb. But... I look at it when it goes cold and I see all that white fat congealing and, and I've been programmed by uh, newspapers and stuff to think that 
fat, it's bad, cholesterol. But are you telling me I can eat to my heart's content? Absolutely. I've got a book on this. I'll show you the book. Great. Another book. This, this one's called Put Your Heart in Your Mouth, What Really Causes Heart Disease, and What We Can Do to Reverse It and Prevent It. Fat and cholesterol do not cause heart disease. That is a solid scientific fact confirmed by hundreds and hundreds of studies. Problem is, uh, while science was busy uh, showing that that hypothesis, that fat and cholesterol might have something to do with heart disease, it's a hypothesis. It was created in 1952. But hypothesis is not the truth. Hypothesis has to be proven, always. And these hypotheses have conclusively have been proven to be wrong. A big mistake. Problem is, while the science was busy proving it wrong, a huge and very powerful industry grew based on that hypothesis. Pharmaceutical industry is making billions on it. Medical industry is making billions on it. Food industry is making billions on it. Governments in the Western world are making billions on it. And it's this organization that do not allow that hypothesis to die. And it is these organizations that are holding the, created the media in the world, they're controlling the media, and through that instrument, they're brainwashing everybody. Generations of people have been indoctrinated um, in this, in this uh, false idea. So, animal fats and cholesterol do not cause heart disease. They're essential for us to eat. Our bodies are made out of them to a large degree. Our brains, our, the rest of the nervous system are high-fat organs. They require large amounts of these fats to maintain their physical structure and their function. Your hormonal system, all your glands that produce hormones in the body are high-fat organs. Your bone marrow, where your blood cells are born and your immune cells are born, is a high-fat organ. And all of these organs work very hard in your body. They need constantly rebuilding, replenishing. So you do need to consume, and only animal fats can do that for you. Plant oils are poisons. We now know that conclusively. All plant oils, cooking oils. Nobody should be buying those large bottles with that liquid oil in there. Nobody should be using it. And all takeaways and all uh, eating out are cooked with these poisonous oils. Olive They're oil? a major culprit behind every chronic disease in the world. So the only fats that are good for us are animal fats, lamb fat, pork fat, beef fat, goose fat, butter ghee. Not olive oil. Olive oil needs to be cold pressed. It needs to taste bitter and have a green color to them. Never cook with it. It's cold pressed for a reason. Because all the most uh, valuable parts of the olive oil are heat sensitive. If you heat it, you destroy them. Right. So you use it on ready served meals, on your salads or whatever you want to pour it on. Uh, that's fine. That will give you good health. Uh, but it doesn't build your physical structure, olive oil. The only fats that build your physical structure are animal fats. And we cannot overdose on them. The more the merrier, the quicker you will recover. Particularly a hyperactive child or another person with mental illness or learning disability. They need to have large amounts of animal fats with breakfast, lunch and dinner. Because brain is a high fat organ. I'm going to show this video, I'm going to encourage members of my family, particularly ones with young children, to watch it, because I think it's going to be quite a shock for them. May I ask you one more question? I've loved talking to you. I I'm so glad um, that I had you on the podcast, and I really want to get your, all your books. So you can, tell, you can tell us what the books are, and where we can get them, etc., at, at the end. Um, hanging up in my larder 
I've got one of those Spanish hamons, um, which I love attacking, and, and it's got lots of fat. Wonderful, eat, eat all of it. Yeah. Oh, is that good? Because I, I was worried. I was. People are sort of slightly sketchy about about cured meats, aren't they? They'd say, "Don't eat bacon. Don't eat sausages and stuff." The problem with bacon in the in the supermarkets are the preservatives, the nitrites, and other chemicals that they are. They're completely unnecessary. Those chemicals, but they are added, you know, per per the um, recommendations of the the government agencies. So bacon is very easy to make at home. Make your own bacon, just with salt. Get Himalayan crystal salt or a natural sea salt. Again, don't buy salt in supermarkets. It's processed. All, all the best things are removed out of that salt. That is why even medical doctors know that that salt is not healthy. Mother Nature gave us rock salt from mountains and gave us sea salt. And that salt contains 92 minerals and trace elements. And every one of them is essential for us. So salt must be natural and processed. You, you cannot buy it in supermarkets. In some supermarkets maybe you can. But you can get it online. Online, you know. You can get Himalayan crystal salt online or natural sea salt online so what you do you go to your butcher you get a belly pork a nice big side of a pig with skin on it right and you lay a cotton cloth on the on the table you put that belly pork on that cotton cloth and then handfuls of salt generous amounts you rub all over the surface every nook and cranny every surface of that you just turn it over rub it rub it rub it as much salt as would stick to it and then you will wrap it into that cloth that cotton cloth and put it in your fridge and every day you flip it flip 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 for a week then it's ready after that you just cut a piece that you're going to eat today tomorrow rinse the salt off slice it cook it there's your bacon but what if you only and like it has a salt in it. what if you only like smoked bacon is that bad that's lovely. If you've got a smoker, you can smoke it. But don't smoke it with liquid smoke. Liquid smoke causes so many illnesses. You want real smoke with a real smoker. Oak, apple, pear, smoke. You are going to cause so much trouble in my household, Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm fired up with your message. And I'm sure lots of people who've been watching this podcast um, will be. By the way, can I ask you, you're Russian. Does it, are you, are you yes. Russian Orthodox or not a Christian? I'm not religious. Not religious. I'm, I consider myself to be spiritual, but I'm not religious. Right. Okay. Um, so, yes. Um, tell us, please, where we can find out more about all these amazing things you've been telling us about. I have a website called gaps.me. I don't know if we've got a chat where I can put it. I'll, 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 I'll find it and I'll put it up on the... Maybe, um, maybe not, yeah. Oh, there is a chat. I can see that there is a button. Oh, here. yeah, chat. Yeah. Yes, a chat. Maybe I could write it down in the chat. Would well, you just send just send me an email at the end, or I'll, I'll, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Okay. So gaps.me, and there you will find a lot of information. That's connected to my blog, where all the books are listed. I have five books overall, all together, on all the issues about nutrition that people need to know. They're all referenced so for scientifically minded people, but they're written in a simple to understand language. They, they, they give the message in, a, in an easy way. 
so um, all of my books. On top of that, at that website, you will find a link for gapstraining.com. That is a company that I have set up with a team of my practitioners. I have been training professionals for decades now. Uh, we have thousands of certified GAPS practitioners around the world. We have another profession called Certified GAPS Coaches, and you will find full lists of them on this website, on gaps.me. So for those people who would like to get trained, um, please join us. These training courses are online, so you can do it in the comfort of your own home. On the same uh, website, on the same um, company, we have several other courses. For people who would like to go through the GAPS nutritional protocol to heal, but they can't wrap their brain around the whole thing, if you join us on a course, very highly qualified GAPS practitioners will lead you by the hand, literally. They will answer all your questions. They will help you. They will lead you through. We have a fantastic course for parents with fussy eaters, with fussy eating children, children who refuse to eat all the good foods. Uh, that's, that can be a huge obstacle to changing your diet. So that's, that's a course, again, run by very qualified people who have gone through this themselves. They will teach you how to deal with that. We have several other courses on all sorts of topics and all sorts of things that um, people might need information on, on there. We also have a, a GAPS Science Foundation. That's um, gapsciencefoundation.org.org. So... That's where we are putting the work. That's where we are putting uh, gaps on a scientific basis. We've already published five studies in peer-reviewed journals. We're doing more research. It is a charity, so we rely on donations. So if you would like to help us, we'll be grateful. So we, we're doing studies to show that gaps works. Because gaps has been around for more than 20 years now. It is a global phenomenon. Millions of people around the world. I don't know how many people precisely, but my impression is that <laughs> millions are, are doing this protocol in many, many countries around the world. Because my first GAPS book, Gotten Psychology Syndrome, this, this yellow book, that's my first one, which came out in 2004, uh, has been translated into 26 languages. Brilliant. And we have more, more translations coming. I'm not translating them. People in those countries contact me and they want to bring that information into their countries uh, and, and they're translating this book. So this information is global and whichever country of the world you go to, you will find people who are already doing this protocol and who are familiar with it. I'm definitely going to get it. Uh, well, several of your books, I think, by the sounds of it. It's, it's brilliant. Um, it, Natasha, it's been really, really good talking to you and thank you for enlightening me. I've, I've really That's enjoyed that. Um, you're, you're very... Thank you for your work. Thank you for spreading the knowledge. No, but, um, but my, my, my pleasure. It's been a privilege talking to you. Um, and it only remains for me to thank all my lovely um, sponsors, especially. I, I, I love everyone, but particularly I love, I love my sponsors. Please keep supporting me um, uh, on, on Locals. That's probably the best place. You get early access to the pods. Uh, you can buy me a coffee. You can read some of my stuff on sub Subscribestar. Um, yeah, keep, keep supporting me and keep coming to my live events. Um, thank you again, Dr. N Natasha Campbell-McBride. It's been brilliant. That's a pleasure. Thank you. That was really good. Really interesting. <laughs>